Hi, Kansas City fans, for Kansas City fans. My name is Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by my friend Reese, aka the Reese Incarnate Bach Lesnar, and possibly aka referees but you're gonna have to listen to the rest of the episode to see if that name comes back but before we talk about that we got a jam-packed episode today breaking news literally literally minutes ago we find out that patrick mahomes has restructured his deal um we'll get into the weeds of that very soon but we got that we got the return of chris jones we beat the jags uh, we also have some people that we're adding to the staff here at fountain city sports media so a lot to get to but before we do that Reese how are you doing what's going on man dude uh you know it's just just another day in paradise what can I say we actually have gorgeous weather right now the leaves are like I don't know threatening to start changing there's a few yellow ones popping up here and there otherwise dude Chiefs won the game never felt honestly that much in danger so it was good I think I might be grilling tonight which is also good and uh what do you you mean grill and why for Monday well, night? So no, we we have some we have a new fridge coming in because what we currently have isn't holding temp well. Like it'll get down to no pun intended the bare minimum temp that it needs to be at to be functioning well. Mm-hmm. But like when you open the door, it'll rise up like ten degrees and it takes like forever to get it back to where it's supposed to be. It's so like we're not playing with fire, but it's like yo, let's not potentially play with fire. So we're trying to clear out the fridge food wise before the new one oh. comes this weekend. So you're doing a massive shish kebab I on should. the grill? I should. I just got like two chicken breasts and like maybe some Costco shrimp. The best kind of shrimp. Oh, yeah. You. Oh, you, you definitely don't want Costco shrimp to go 10 degrees co- uh, nah, hot, man. though. Yeah. It'll be a shrimp cocktail of disaster right there. Do you want to hear something random? <laughs> yes. So I just did this opera this weekend up in up in the Tetons, and the guy that wrote the 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 libretto, which for those who don't know what that is, it means that he wrote the words to the opera. He is like a cricketologist, and he and he did a um, he did a lecture on crickets, and like you know how some people in the world eat crickets, and mm-hmm. he was saying you know the crickets are like exactly the same scientific species as like lobsters and shrimp, yeah. yet mm-hmm. we you know we revere lobster and shrimp and we pay you know a boatload of money for that but it's almost identical to the cricket and the grasshopper it's just one is land and one is sea yeah dude it's just never thought about that you know yeah it's like they're they're both uh what are they they're not are they arachnids or like no they're not arachnids what are they technically uh, I mean, some sort of insect. I mean, I'm, I I don't know terminologies at all, but it's like an insect, essentially, yeah. a lobster and a and a um, and a shrimp are an insect, just a sea insect. What I don't get though is that like they actually have meat and protein, like protein meat, whatever you want to call that tissue mm-hmm. in them. But like last time I bit into a cricket, all I got was crunchy. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. No one thought that this episode would go this way, huh? He also told us the proper way to eat a cricket. Um, which is you have to remove the head, which then removes the guts, and actually the body of the cricket does have an absorbent amount of protein in it. Hmm. It's just that people are like cooking them the wrong way if you do just randomly eat a cricket. Well, I mean, anyone that's ever watched Snowpiercer knows that the way you do it is you just collect a bunch of crickets and put them in a fire and like mush them into a protein bar. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> never, never seen it and never seen that happen in a dramatization. 
eh, it's overrated, but you know, make sure it's the make sure it's the Chris Evans movie and not the series. Even though I think someone said the series follows more closely to the actual content. But here's a fun thing though: uh, if you do, because you haven't watched it yet, uh, there's a theory that Snowpiercer is a spiritual, unofficial sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Whoa. Yeah, and it mostly has to do with the fact that like the creator of the graphic novel was like a huge fan of Roald Dahl and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So it's like a lot of the things in there technically would line up, but I think it's a stretch, but it's a fun watch if you go on YouTube. It's definitely not what I thought it would be. I thought Snowpiercer would be like some like like Yellowstone or some sort of like thriller like that, but it's not. No, no, Snowpiercer's like it's a graphic novel where there's like an environmental disaster that causes another ice age, but like the super rich and affluent get a spot on this train that runs forever. I've been like on the train, it's a paradise, you know, because they're rich and they could afford to live in a train paradise. But then like the stragglers that were able to, you know, like the fall of Vietnam get on the train, so to say, are like, you know, third world country trash. They have to like live in the back of the the thing and they eat those protein bars like I told you about that are just like, you know, smashed up crickets and all that jazz. Uh, But long story short, Chris Evans' character has to go from like the back of the train to the front of the train. He's like, I'm going to meet the conductor because like, I don't know, he can like grant them a wish or something like that. I can't, he's going to go meet him. And like, he has to like fight his way through the entire train through like all the nobles and he has to like go through their tea party and their nightclub where they're doing drugs and their school for affluent children. And just, uh, it's, you know, it's a post-apocalyptic sci-fi, whatever you will call it. Well, I think Reese has another movie to review on Patreon. So Reese, how can people donate on Patreon and follow us on social media so they can hear more about Snowpiercer when they donate a thousand dollars? Dude, for our... 20 part in depth deep dive into the 90 minute Snowpiercer film. <laughs> Check just, out. You, you just you just pause every two minutes of the film. So, Alex, what do yes. you think about that? Yeah, see, this frame's actually an allegory for uh, the civil rights movement. Uh, but I, don't, I, I joke, but like it's probably actually true. Yeah, it's probably actually true. Anyway, Reese's, Reese's wheels are spinning. No, no pun intended. A dangerous subject, I know. Um, anyway, so. If you want my wheel spinning, just like the train tracks on Snowpiercer, go to patreon.com backslash FCSM. So instead of Armando and Reese eating bug protein bars for the price of one cup of Starbucks coffee a month, (laughs) you can donate to this podcast. Uh, Other things going on, you can find us on Instagram at FountainCitySM. And you can also interact with us on Spotify through the listener polls and the weekly questions that go on with this episode. If you listen to us on Spotify, you'll see the option to answer questions and answer polls we put up with every episode. In fact, we had our inaugural one this week. Let's read it, Reese. We're going to read all the answers to the polls. So this week's question was, do the Chiefs need to trade for a wide receiver one yet this season? And it looks like we have a response from Goldilocks and the Three Beers, David Farrell, saying, trade for Hunter Renfro. What a response. Our first troll, and it's a troll that we know. So we should, as as we all know, we publish Goldie all of Locks, these come on. to public. So that is now published and available for everybody to see. Uh, then we also had our poll for the week. 
which was where is your panic meter on the Kansas City Chiefs? And a majority of our podcasters listed four to six, some level of concern. Okay. Which honestly, that's how I voted. Yeah, so. that's fine. Yeah, four, four to six is fair. Again, like if Travis Kelsey is actually in worse shape than we think, then sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about Travis Kelsey. He was a. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean. It's two games. He's got what now? Like 16 total yards. This could be the year he doesn't get a thousand yards. Ooh, hot takes already in the beginning of the episode, but we will get to more of Reese's hot takes soon. Before we do that, that Reese, let's go into our breaking news. We got Patrick Mahomes has just uh, restructured his contract. Mahomes will now make $210.6 million between um, 2023 and and 2026 that's the most in nfl history over a four-year span um nfl network's ian rapaport also added that the agreement could reach a maximum of 218.1 million by the conclusion of 2026 thanks to escalators included in the track in the contract Um, both sides plan to revisit the agreement after the 2026 season so this is uh this is pretty significant news now patrick mahomes at least in the 2023 season uh well actually we don't know we um so here's some indicators or here's some um more news on this structure we don't know how much he's making per year we don't know if it's a flat you know uh 218 divided by four it could be more on the back end it could be more right now um so we're just speculating at this point but reese what is your reaction to mahomes being the highest paid in a four-year span in nfl history you know it's very interesting we probably have our friend mike florio to thank for this since i think he put out like two or three crybaby articles at the beginning of the year where he's like the chiefs are criminally underpaying patrick mahomes and it's not fair because it gives them more cap space which stops them so you know this probably has something to do with it but i'm a little surprised at the amount because between 2023 and 2026 so I don't know. Are they counting four years as like 23, 24, 25, 26? Or is it 23, 24, 24, 25, 25, 25, 26? Now I think it's 23, 24, 25, 26. So if my math's correct, it would be an average of 52 million per year, which is on par now with those top five guys we had in the offseason. Joe Burrow and his, I think, 115 yards of passing so far. Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. Justin Fields and no, not Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts. Uh, Jalen Hurts, I'm sorry, not Justin Fields. And uh, who's the fifth one, though? Mm. Wasn't there a fifth one this offseason? They got like the big bag. Danny Jones, Danny Dimes got oh, that's right, Danny Dimes. Yeah, in the very beginning of the offseason. Oof, anyway. Uh, I find it interesting the, the total amount because when you think about it, his deal for 10 years was 500 million and it was half of that fully guaranteed so essentially in this four-year stretch he's going to be getting about four-fifths or 80 percent of that yeah. fully guaranteed money yeah so i don't know what do you think this means why now 
I don't know. I mean, uh, what they're saying is it's, it's expected that at the time when the Chiefs either extend Mahomes or sorry, in 2026, when they reevaluate his agreement, they're either going to extend him or sign him again to a new contract is kind of what they're mm. saying. So this will reset what we thought, you know, that 10 year deal was going to be. Um, but a couple of things that jump out to me that I think this tells us that Chris Jones is officially gone because there's no way that we that we re-sign Chris Jones in the I mean in these like next three years because for me I feel like um, and there are some reports saying that there is more money on the back end of this four-year deal than in the front end of this deal um, which still indicates that like they could still sign someone like this whole Mike Evans conversation in Kansas City is not going to go away with this Um, but my worry is that uh, there might be more money on the back end of this deal which means there's no way in hell Chris Jones is going to come back on a team-friendly deal um, I think we've wrapped up Kelsey, right? But this this provides some question marks with a new Kelsey deal as well. Um, so there's more question marks than not on this deal. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very confused. But at the same time, if this means that it allows for more money for Patrick Mahomes to get another wide receiver in the 2023 season, sign me up, baby. I think this is like a 3D or a four-dimensional chess sort of situation because, so here's 23, 24, 25, and 26. This is what his cap hits would have been. This year was 39.5 million. Next year is 46.5, 48.5, and then 44 million. So if he's getting 211 over the next four years, and it is about 50 million per year, that's a solid five to ten million dollar increase over the span of the next four years. So, mm-hmm. if the plan is to reevaluate and extend in 2026, they could be kip- kicking some of that money even farther down the road at the point we're talking like in the early to mid 2030s, which is makes me want to vomit just thinking about that. <laughs> but it's interesting. Now, here's a question for you. You said you don't think we're going to re-sign Chris Jones. Well, I, I just don't see that happening uh, because they're putting so much money. Like you said, it's like about 30%, sorry, 80% of his guaranteed money. I just don't see mathematically how that could allow for another superstar to sign with Kansas City. But I've been wrong in the past with, with Brett Veach. Um, you, me, and Kyle famously had our you know f- a $50 episode. How much, how much can Brett Veach do with, you know, what was it, four or $500? that he had and then we sign all these people actually while i'm saying this field yates is now reporting his restructured contract actually creates 2.5 million dollars in extra cap space for this year i don't get it uh <laughs> i'm glad people that understand the salary cap are smarter than me because i'm not sure how like unless this year they're giving him 39 and then like the other three years like 72 like yeah <laughs> well so here's the, here's a fun uh thing so i read that we will not have the money to sign Chris Jones for the remainder of this year. Uh, so my guess is this move directly has to do with just getting Chris Jones on the books mm. for this year. But if we're reevaluating 2026 and kicking the can further down the road with an extension through the 2030s, do you think there's any chance the Chiefs are buyers in the market for a young wide receiver to be Mahomes' next running mate? Potentially Justin Jefferson. Ooh. 
Wait, but how much money does that leave on the table? Because you know Justin Jefferson is going to be making oodles of money, way more than even a Tyree Kill. What was Tyree Kill? 28 mil? He was, I think he was at like 30 million or yeah, something Yeah, so like I mean that. Justin's going to be asking for north of that, if not south of 40. I mean, what's Can that? Can be in the you... market? Oh my god. Could you imagine Justin Jefferson, Kadarius oh, Tony, uh, Sky Moore, uh, Justin Ross coming back to his full Super Saiyan form? Also, Brock uh, Bowers. Oh, oh God. <laughs> also, like not uh, out of the realm of possibility, but George Pickens is not getting a lot of targets in that Steelers offense. When when George Pickens' contracts off, oof, we can I don't we think- can we can make amends for our mistakes in the draft. I don't think they want George Pickens though. I don't think oh, I, I think George love Pickens George Pickens. He's what we're missing in this offense, man. He's missing we're, we're missing our one-on-one catch boy. I I think he's a terrific catcher of the football. I don't think he's a very good everything else, if that makes sense. Yeah, but we have everything else. We 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 have the route runner in Sky Moore. We have the, you know, we have that long playability with MVS. We have just I the mean, random dude that can do everything our our Hunter Renfro and Justin Watson. But we need that okay. one-on-one spectacular sports center top 10 George Pickens. First off, I need. I'm glad you brought this up because I need to disprove the myth here that like MVS is our field stretching wide receiver. He's our guy, he baby. He's the slowest. He is the slowest fast guy I have ever been having people convince me is a fast guy. And, and Travis like, Kelsey's your flat, your fastest slow guy. He's my fastest slow guy, but MVS is my slowest fast guy because everyone's like, oh, he runs like a four three, and I'm like, I'm not seeing this on the field. It's like I never see him with like a step or two beyond the secondary. It's like he's got two guys on him at all time. It is it is pretty funny how like he did so much with Aaron Rodgers, and now it feels like with Patrick Mahomes, you would you would think that D. That that defenses would would defend Mahomes and Rodgers in the same way, but it feels like it feels like not. It feels like there are no deep ball possibilities anymore with Patrick Mahomes. But Reese, but before MVS got here, he was the fastest on the field the previous year. I think it was like twenty three miles per hour. He had gone at one point doing a straight shot down. I mean, it, stats, Reese. Those are stats. Dude, people need to understand that like straight line top end speed is so like not the equivalence of actual practical game speed. Like if you told me that Justin Watson and Marquez Valdez Cantling were the same speed, I would like absolutely believe you. They look and they like are as stiff of each other. They're kind of like the same size. I'm just like, no. Versus, you know, that's what makes Tyreek Hill so special is that, like, his first step is the fastest yeah. first step you ever see. True. Or, like, even Kadarius Tony, even if, like, his absolute top-end speed isn't the fastest wide receivers, he's going to get separation from, like, three dudes on it because he's that fast. He's that quick. Reese, you know? what, what is your top-end speed? And then what is your in-game, in-game wheel route speed? Oh, me right now? Oh, dude, my top-end speed's, like, oh, goodness, I don't even know four <laughs> okay so top end four and then and then i want your like wheel route in game speed against darius lay three i don't know dude like i'm afraid to run to the backyard right now with bowie just with my knee the way it is. between my knee injury and the turf toe i got last year dude it's like no the jets are off you should see me play some basketball though now because i have like the absolute euro game just locked down right now it's just like posting up 
nothing but fundamentals, hand checking, rebounding. I can do all that. Oh my goodness. We got, we, we got Reese Jokic Jr. over here, but that's not even the nickname that we are, we are getting ready for today. Today we got pay-per-view Reese. We, we, we have the resurrected AKA referees back. So we're going to transition out of this Patrick Mahomes talk and we're going to go straight into the game. Uh, we had, we had the chiefs and Jags and we win pretty ha- I mean, I don't know if it was pretty handedly, but at the, at the end, it, it felt like a pretty comfortable game, 17 to nine. Um, but Reese, the story isn't about us winning, but it's about all the weird things that happened in the game. And it's been a while since Reese has talked about the referees and the referees being a factor in an NFL game. But Reese has a few things for us to say. Ladies and gentlemen, referees is back. The floor is yours. First off, first off, I got to say, I kind of like the nickname Pay-Per-View Reese. I think that might be my thing. Really? I, I, I thought it had a nice ring to it. PPR, Pay-Per-View Reese. I love it. Dude. No, PPV. Not uh, PPV. PPV, yeah. PPVR. Mr. PPPPVR. There you go. PPVR. Pipper. Pipper. Anyway, I have been advised by legal counsel and my doctors to never let my former alter ego oh, of referees come on, Reese, Reese, if, if you go to our metrics and see from referees to Reese Incarnate Bach Lester, we had a significant dip when you changed your name, Reese. Come back. Bring the fire. Get the lawsuits out. You want some metrics? How's these for symmetrics? 12, tw- 12 penalties for 94 yards versus two penalties for 10 yards. Wow. This is a crock of crap. This is an absolute crock of crap. And you know where it started was Chris Collinsworth. Because here's a guy that likes to hear his own voice but doesn't understand the game of football. <laughs> when he was putting Jawan Taylor on the block in week one being like he's lining up like a slot receiver (laughs) why are they calling these false starts (laughs) for a guy who's been in the league this long now like this is nothing new officials have been watching Juwan Taylor for years they know his game Lane Johnson and the other tackle with the Eagles whose name spaces my mind has the exact same thing Magliata Magliata Ray Liotta, I don't know who it is, but they have that backstep early jump, which to this point has been completely fine. Yep. But after Chris Collinsworth's week one embarrassment of pointing out a rule he doesn't fully understand, it conveniently came up this week as a point of emphasis to officials to watch for the first step and the step back. If they needed examples, they could watch the Chiefs game from week one. Okay. That's totally cool. So are we going to call this under a microscope for the Eagles game as well? Absolutely not. They got to carry on doing their weird offensive line stuff as always. Their butt pushes, their early jumps, nah, not a problem. Meanwhile, in this game, they didn't just make it a point of emphasis. By doing this, they put Juwan Taylor under a microscope because he had five penalties throughout this game when he had one last week. And he's never had more than one or two per game in his career. So you're just telling me it's it's coincidence this week that like, oh, hey, uh, keep an eye out for this. Because the referees had hawk eyes on him all game. And they said what what went from being watch the first step out of the snap and where he's lining up to 
make sure you put him under a microscope and like anything he does wrong, call it. Because that's all that happened. If you're telling me the Jaguars line played a perfect game and Juwan Taylor was five penalties by himself, I don't believe you. Do better. Yeah, it's 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 very embarrassing. I'll go into some specifics here. So Juwan Taylor had two false starts, two holding calls, and an, an illegal formation that kind of put us like really back. And I think it was three in a row at one point. And and we have um, I, I'm. I'm on this uh, boomer boomer group on Facebook, Harris. That's like the it's oh, called geez. like Chiefs Kingdom with like four exclamation marks, and everyone on it is like, "We're paying this guy how much, and he gets benched in the second game. What's going on with this team?" I'm sorry, but if you watch football, Jawan Taylor is playing fantastic. Like Jawan Taylor has gone up against Aiden Hutchinson, and he's gone up against Josh Allen, and the like good Josh Allen, not the bad quarterback from the bills we're talking like one of the greatest pass rushers in the nfl right now josh allen and he's playing great like he plays big but he's also quick and and he doesn't even need that step in order to get an advantage on the edge rushers so like that's what pisses me off of course the refs piss me off and everything you've said i have no contention with but it pisses me off that chief's kingdom doesn't understand that like that like this is something that can be fixed and unfortunately it's it's not his fault and he's actually playing really good football and i've i've been i've been very impressed with with how he's playing especially against some really good heavy hitters in these first two weeks and that's what it ultimately came down on is if like they weren't highlighting Aiden Hutchinson getting owned as bad as he was in week one and showing his mom and dad in the crowd every other play because (laughs) reasons why do they have mics on them this wouldn't be a thing but like Hutchinson was getting his lunch eaten so bad they had to move him in on a Trey Smith in the guard position and then he started getting some progress but anytime they put him on Juwan Taylor he was getting frustrated he was getting stymied One thing people are so quick to forget was Joey Bosa's temper tantrum in the playoffs last year was a result of playing Juwan Taylor. Taylor. If this technique was such a big deal last year, then why was this not a point of emphasis during the offseason? Mm-hmm. To just like coincidentally make this a point of emphasis to hamstring our right tackle and be like, hey, fix this in five days, that's such a crock of crap. This is 1,000% an off-season point of emphasis. So you give the players like Lane Johnson and others that do this two, three months to refine their game. To be like, hey, guess what? Quarterbacks, yeah, you have to have a minimum of a four-step drop now. Three-step drops aren't allowed. Do you know how stupid that concept is to try and get a player to completely unlearn what they've been doing for decades of their lives to this point? It's pathetic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really horrible, and and I hope that during the owners' meeting this this off season, this is addressed because yeah, you're right. It's like it's a whole it's a whole shift. It's like it's like telling Patrick Mahomes you can no longer be in the pocket. You have to automatically snap from the left side, and you have two seconds to throw the ball from the left side with no defenders. Yep. Like it, it, it's it's a huge dynamic shift and a huge te- huge technical shift for someone on the offensive line. Luckily, Reese, and we'll get to this um, towards the end of the podcast, but we got six weeks of uh, some pretty nice matchup so hopefully this is some time for him to tinker and even even with all that race like we didn't see did Patrick Mahomes get sacked this last game maybe one sack but I I really don't think he did like like even with all that's happening is what I'm trying to say is that there's still like not a lot of pressure on Patrick Mahomes and this is just a great offensive line something we haven't seen in quite some time yeah, to answer your question on here, it looks like uh, Jacksonville recorded one sack for the day. 
and, uh, and I wonder, not a whole lot of, I, and, and I wonder if that sack was actually Pat like rushing and just didn't like, like, like the pocket had collapsed and he was just running forward. I don't even know if it was an actual sack. Yeah. I, I can't remember it, uh, exactly how it went down, but no one sack, it looks like it's a, a seven yard loss. So yeah, I probably just got sack sacked, but uh, no, I'll tell you what. For all these people being like, we could have paid OBJ the same amount of money to stand left tackle. Blah, blah, blah. You casuals, for what it's <laughs> worth, the reason we got rid of OBJ was because Mahomes was running for his life every other play. Whether or not he was sacked, he was getting hit all the time. And he wasn't just getting hit, he was getting folded. Yeah. And OBJ wasn't just getting beat, he needed chip help on like every stinking play. So I will take... A right tackle who is currently under an unfair microscope that keeps Pat upright versus a dude that was a liability that honestly should have cost us the Super Bowl before our run even started last year. And and we can see the the seeds sowing in in Cincinnati. We have we have an 0 and two Bengals with a reaggravated calf for Joe Burrow. So not to say that that's 100% OBJ's fault, but of course that offensive line has to play into the equation when you have that 0 and two start against some pretty some pretty easy teams that that should have been taken care of. Yeah, you'd think so. All I know is it's super frustrating. I hope the league sees this. And like a lot of things, the league is very quick to overreact on these sort of things. And then they kind of dial it back in the coming weeks. If Juwan Taylor gets a penalty or two per game, you know what? That's fine. Uh, I find it awfully coincidental that both times it happened in game one on our final drive when we were starting to get some momentum. And in this game, it happened again late in the fourth quarter where a touchdown would have put the game away. Suddenly we had, what was it, like two coincidental Juwan Taylor penalties back-to-back right. that kicked us out of field goal yeah, range. Just, yeah. And it's like, oh, wow, no way. We're about to close the door and the refs just conveniently decide to start throwing flags on us on this drive in this position to keep this game from being closed. Wow, what a coincidence. <laughs> yes, so as as we said, referees has been resurrected with the ref banter, and rightly so. Everything that Reese is saying, there's no contention to. Reese, I don't think there's any contention to us saying that Chris Jones is back, and Chris Jones was a big factor in this game, and it makes me more pissed at Chris Jones because I'm thinking how like how much we would have beat that Lions team if we had Chris Jones Reese before we go into the beer review I just want to say how amazing this D line is starting with Chris Jones he had one and a half sacks he batted down a pass and closed out multiple drives including that that final Jags uh, possession where he just dominated Trevor Lawrence and I know that that offensive line is missing I think Cam Robinson but they still have a lot of great weapons on that team and it's not like Chris was just on D line, he was he was playing the edge. He was playing all over the place. Reese, what did you see from Chris Jones against the Jags? I saw a guy that picked up where he left off last playoffs, which was surprising to me because I would have thought after not working, yeah, out no with training the team camp, no nothing, right? Because you can be in shape, but game shape, it was like, woo, different. And then being thrown into this Jacksonville heat, which it was very hot on the field yesterday, I would have thought he'd be like sucking air by you know the third quarter. But dude. Uh, Again, I will cold snack take back what I said about Chris Jones. He was incredibly impactful on what was already an impressive performance by the week one defensive line that didn't feature him. So he he came up big. One and a half sacks, like he said. Pass defended. Couple extra QB hits in there. 
Yeah, Chris Jones is a menace and probably a, you know a very important reason as to why the defense had the day it had yesterday. Yeah, I was going to say not not only does it elevate Chris Jones, I mean Chris Jones elevates the D line, but it seemed like Karloftis and even Felix Anodike Uzoma were getting to 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 Trevor Lawrence more often than we've seen Karloftis the entire last year, and then obviously Felix, we we've only seen one game, but he had some he had some great pressures, and I think due to them having to double team Chris Jones. Yeah. So here's my question. Do we want to talk about the defense more a little bit later on in the podcast, or we just want to get our defensive feelings out right now? Mm, why don't we why don't we wait to do it at the end of the podcast? But yeah, I just wanted to highlight that D line uh with Chris Jones, and then we can get to it a little later after the beer review. Yeah, I think you said everything that needs to be said. We're seeing a lot of guys step up so far. Dudes like Derek Nandi, Mike Dana, those ancillary characters that you really needed to play big in the absence of Chris Jones are both playing big. George Karloftis continues to gain momentum off of a strong second half of last year, already recording over two sacks this nice. season. And like we said, Felix Anadike Uzama still needs some work setting the edge, but his quick snap bendiness is making him very productive on passing downs. So I have to say, so far, this line's not elite. It's got a long way to go, but it's in much better shape than I would have thought it was going to be late in the offseason. Yeah, definitely not elite, but I'll definitely say better than above average or ab- above average, I'll say, which is really nice. And one more thing on Karloftis. The one thing I've been saying about Karloftis is he's always like a millisecond too late. He's just he's just he's just this close. And I know he just needs a little bit more push and he'll finally get it. And I think we're finally seeing that in the net, in the last two games, especially against Trevor Lawrence. But yeah, I think I think the big cue is going to be how does he play against the Eagles? How does he play against a Bills offensive line? Um, um, and then we can really see, you know, what the body of work is. But hey, against Trevor Lawrence, who's supposed to be, you know, this and their weapons supposed to be the hottest, you know, one of the hottest offenses in the NFL. And we we shut them down, baby. So that was pretty good. But we'll talk more about their wide receivers later. Reese, why don't we crack open a beer? Um, it is almost actually it is. It is our new our, our old segment. We are bringing back for the beer review. Is that correct, Reese? Oh, baby, it's an oldie but a goodie, so you better get ready for it and be here when we get back. All right, stay tuned, and then we will introduce an oldie but a goodie. It's everyone's favorite time of the podcast. That's right, it's This Week in Craft Beer, the segment of the show where we break down a delicious craft beer for your listening pleasure. Now, I almost feel like this week... I shouldn't have said hello and welcome. I should have said Guten Tag and Willkommen because it's September 16th. That means it is time for the return of the hunt for Red Oktoberfest. Red Oktoberfest. Still, still working on that Connor impersonation. It was perfect. What are you talking about, dude? I've been doing it. I, I, I have an acting coach. I have a dialect coach now. I've been spending all of our Patreon money on it. Dude, you should. No, actually, don't do that. I'd probably get us canceled. Anyway, so <laughs> you can you can tell me after the pod what you're about to say. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't say anything. It was, it was bad. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's kind of funny though because Oktoberfest this year is September 16th through October 3rd. So honestly, it's like why is it Oktoberfest? It's like September stock, right? Right. So anyway, for those of you who have never joined us in the past, Hunt for Red Oktoberfest is uh, the season where we will review exclusively Oktoberfests, Meritzen, Fest beers, all those styles of beers that are typically had during Oktoberfest. So Armando's going to kick us off this year 
with a delicious Oktoberfest beer. Armando, what you got for us today? Before I tell you what I got, I just want to say how much I love this podcast. I love it so much that um, I've had I've had one awful night with Oktoberfest beers. And it has like forever changed my taste buds when I have Oktoberfest beers. But for this podcast, I will, I will, I will erase that through from my mind like a like a MIB movie where they where they flash the the thing and erase the memory. I'm gonna erase that bad night of Oktoberfest, and I'm gonna crank open a Breckenridge Brewery Oktoberfest Merzen Lager. Oh. Baby. All right. Well, while Armando pops that open, I'm just going to walk it through how we review these beers. So on a scale of one to ten, one being trash, ten being Ziagut, uh, we have aroma, appearance, flavor, and mouthfeel as our four big brewing categories. So, oh, he's even cracked it in the traditional dimple German Stein. Got the Hofbrau, baby. Dude, he's ready to he's ready to game. He's ready to game. So Armando, category number one, I lied, it's appearance. Uh, why don't you tell us what that Meritson looks like? All right. The Meritson, we got we got a beautiful dark brown color right here. Um, almost looks like a dark honey. Great head retention as well. Oh, I also got a sleepy baby that is now awake from his nap. A guest appearance from the baby. Is this your is this your first podcast appearance? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Do, we don't condone ah, underage ah. drinking on this podcast, but this is adorable. Yes, don't worry. Baby is not drinking any alcohol. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, look at him go for the mic. I he's a natural. For the mic. Oh, he's gonna be a podcaster. No. What do you dude. What do you want to? Oh, maybe he can no. review formulas. No. Oh my gosh, dude. Do you know what? Hold on, this is the cornered market we're gonna get right here. This is like Reese is very excited about that, Logan. (laughs) Dude, what if our first? What if our first like major sponsorships from like Gerber or Nestle? Oh wow! Sorry, Reese, go for it. No, no, I was just saying I was a little worried at first because like the way you were looking looked like you were looking at the top of the stairs. I'm like, did your baby get out of the crib Rugrats style (laughs) and just like staring you down from the stairs? Hey, Dad. Anyway, so oh, you were saying about yeah. that beer. <laughs> All right, so we got we got a, a beautiful dark brown color, great head retention. Um, it looks it looks ha- kind of like honey, um, not as mm. translucent as I would like. Like like I've had the that beer shot uh, Meriton Lager, which is like it's very translucent and very like thin brown light brown color um, mm-hmm. which I kind of make the style I think people think that Meritons are supposed to be really dark but not really like they, they should have some translucency to it this one's a little a little more dark than that style that I like so how about it still looks very good so how about um how about an 8.1 it's good look yeah I think especially in that Stein it really accentuates the highlights of what makes a Meritson a Meritson mm-hmm. and you know I'd be, I'd be interested to hear that Bierstadt Meritson, what that'd be like. I mean, you oh, know they're so playing good. it by the book. You know, like four ingredients, nothing else. Yeah, it, it, and like yeah. they have their like signature malt that's in everything, and it doesn't matter what style it is. Like you just have that. Like it's like they put hints of Pilsner malt in everything, and it just it works perfectly though, even if it's a Meritson. Dude, can I change my nickname one more time to be Malt Disney? <laughs> 
That's too many nicknames, Reese. We have to stick with one because that's what our focus group said. Fine, I'll stick with one nickname going forward. <laughs> anyway, speaking of ones and tens, category number two is aroma. What does this Meritzen smell like? All right. Hmm. This one actually is really, um, really graham crackery, uh, very bready, less, um, what do I want to say? Less cinnamon than I would have expected. Less toastiness, mm-hmm. like a, like a toasted barley or toasted malt, um, really more on the bready side, which, which actually I think is more true to style than a lot of these like caramel colors that you might, or caramel flavorings that you might get in some of these American beers. Um, it really should actually be a little closer to that breadcrumb. So I, I honestly like this smell. Good job, Breckenridge. How about, um, how about an 8.7? Wow. All right. Two good grades for the first two categories. But now it's the moment of truth, Armando. The most important category is flavor. This beer can look weird. It can smell weird. But if it tastes good, it's all that matters. What's the rating? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. The first thing that jumps out um, to me, maybe not the best of qualities, but it but it is very syrupy. Um, it's not very clean as I would have expected. Oh, baby's coming back for more. Hello, uh-huh. Mr. Baby. He just went first off the bed by himself. Really? Yeah. Wow. I caught him. When he you went. caught him. So, so we're we're teaching Theo how to get off furniture and like oh, yeah. go feet first on furniture instead of head first because he's already had a few tumbles, um, and he's starting yeah. to get it. He just he just did feet first off the bed. Oh Good job, baby. Do you want some beer? Just kidding. Hey, hey, we do not condone child. He, he is he is uh, going for the beer though. He he loves to grab beer glasses, so that's not great. Um, ah. so make well, sure you put I those mean, put those in the center when you see that baby. Right, he'll be popular in college though. Am I right? <laughs> that's true. Oh yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be the talk of the town. Uh, although he's he, hopefully he goes to school wherever Logan's teaching, so that we don't have to pay for it. <laughs> so then, dude, yeah, absolutely. He's like, oh, my mom's here. Dude, I look forward to seeing him at UMKC in 2042. Nice. Or yeah, no, man. dude, Parkville. Parkville U. Oh, yeah, dude. Park uh, Park Hill University, oh, where there's Park like Hill, yeah. so many random celebrity alumni there. Like, True. Olympic champion Maurice Green went there. Also, their, their, their piano department is unmatched. Really? Yeah, it's like it is very good. Like one of their uh, one of their students who just won the Van Cliborne, um competition, which is for those of you that know, it's like the world class like Olympics of piano, and just a random person from Parkville you won. Anyway, I digress. Wow. Let's let's go back to flavor. So a lot of syrup on this one, um, which I'm getting right away, and then I kind of taste some of that um, some of that graham crackery malt, um, which rounds it out a little bit i just wish it was a little more prominent and more balanced i'm just getting a lot of that what i what i feel is honey i'm sure other people would would taste some caramel um just a little syrupy than i would like which kind of eases off the carb too which i don't like um but again it's it's good it's good i'm I'm comparing it to bierstadt which is would would make this really hard for breckenridge so how about a 7.6 all right 7.6 on flavor still very solid then the last category is mouthfeel. What's this beer like? Is it a uh, thick like milk, mid like juice, or light like water? 
Yeah, it's it, it's kind of in the middle. It it does still have that hint of crispiness, although I would want it to have a little bit more, um, which would then that's what I associate with a little lighter of texture. This one's a little heavier than I would like. Again, you can kind of tell with the appearance when you know it's not going to be as translucent. It's probably going to be a little thicker in the mouth that you'd want. Um, so it's a little more on the thick side than the thin side. Again, I think a really good Meriton is just a balanced, you know, smooth, maybe does have some depth to it, but this is maybe 70% depth and 30% crispy light. Um, so again, it's fine for the style, would like it in a different direction. That's just personal preference. So how about a 7.1? All right, 7.1, 7.1 for that mouthfeel. Then the last category, our not-so-secret category, is Stonk's Drinkability Quotient. Armando, you've had a fair share of Meritsons. You've had a fair share of bad nights with Meritsons, but uh, how does this Meritson make you feel? And it wasn't even a bad night with Meritsons. It was a bad night with root beer float shots to end the night after going to uh, Oktoberfest. <laughs> Well, then don't blame the beer for that. If you're doing like root beer shots and rumple mints and all that stuff, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know why, but it was well because it was like my first Oktoberfest. I was really thrilled. It was like thirty bucks to get in all you can drink, and then they were like root beer float shots, and I was like, mm, oh yummy root beer. And then yeah, that what? totally ruined an entire beer style for me for the rest of my life. Was this West? Was this Westport Oktoberfest? Yeah, uh, no, it was actually a thirty ninth Street Oktoberfest. Really? Yeah, 39th Street, Man, and, like, and it was hosted at Oliver's. I don't think it's called Oliver's anymore. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I don't go to 39th Street all that much. And well, oh, it's too. it's like it's like 39th Street on the east east side, closer to Troost. So like where the Mexican oh, restaurant yeah. is and the the Tower yeah. Bar, or whatever it's called. Oh, Ollie's. You Ollie's. Were Sorry, Ollie's. Ollie's, not Oliver's. Correct. Yeah, it was yeah. in their parking lot. No, Ollie's is gone. I can't remember. What's, there's been like three things in that place since I moved in. Which it's is so too funny expensive. and kind of sad. No, it, it is. And like that entire place is called, I think, Martini Corner because there used to be like four bars. That's there where at it all was. Times. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a bit sad because like I guess before I moved here back in like the mid 2010s, that place used to be hopping. Yeah. But now like I think Tower Tavern might still be there and uh, Soul Cantina is still Soul there. Soul Cantina, the other, that was it. The other two just like rotating, revolving doors. It's just like there, there's just so many better places to go out in Kansas City than that area now. Uh, it's too bad. It was it was such a fun spot, like getting tacos at Seoul or just grabbing a quick beer. I think you and I watched a couple uh, Royals games over at the Tower or whatever it's called. Yeah, it sounds about right. And I think we saw like a Wizards Boston game for like Kyle's goodbye oh, yeah. party or something like that. <laughs> How random! Back when it was like, of course, John Kyle would want to watch that. Yeah, right. Um, uh, but anyway, Stonk's drinkability. Um, so actually, this is going to take a turn for, for the better. Um, I, I have a lot of love for Breckenridge Brewery. I love Breckenridge. It's it's one of the most beautiful places in Colorado. And they honestly do make good beers. I'm, I'm kind of being, um, being a bit uh, particular with this style because I, I had a memorable beer shot Martin last season. But I mean, can art is just true tradition right here, Reese. We got, we got the oh, Breckenridge. Yeah. Ridge Mountains. We got some ode to um, to Germany. We got some ode to Munich in this. A beautiful blue, you know, can art. And it's just, it's a solid brewery and a solid place to start out the hunt for Red Oktoberfest. Give me a 9.5 for Stonk's drinkability, Reese. Oh my gosh, 9.5. What a great start to hunt for Red Oktoberfest. It's a... Uh 
It's impressive, and that you know that blue white diamond checkerboard always gets me. Oh but yeah, it's, it's difficult because it's super easy to make that look like really bush league and you know kitty. So good on Breckenridge for nailing that. Yeah, Breckenridge, although you know not the not on the Mount Crushmore, solid beer, solid can art. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, there you have it. Go get yourself a six pack of Breckenridge Brewery Oktoberfest. Meanwhile, we have a six-pack of D-backs to discuss when we get back, so stay tuned to hear about our dominating defense. Nice. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are back from the Hunt for Red Oktoberfest. Hunt for Red Oktoberfest. That's right. I paid all $1,000 to my dialect coach from our Patreon money. What do you think, Reese? I think it's great. You should keep giving them all your money because it's it's just working out. I love it. Okay, excellent. Um, and we are also going to be giving all our money to our to our new analyst. That's right. We have a new member on the podcast. So he's not on the podcast today, but but he is now a new employee of Fountain City Sports Media. We would like to welcome William Grundler, who is our chief's chief chief analytics guy actually i guess we don't have a name for him yet uh Uh, he's head of head of the analytics department of fountain city sports media does that sound cool yeah i kind of like that yeah let's do it chief analytics officer so we go we got our boy william grundler who is on our um he's on our fountain uh, fantasy chat and he's actually getting a degree in statistics right now um so he decided that he would like to help us out with our stats and he's been doing a great job for the past two weeks so uh, we would like to now have a new segment every week so we can talk about analytics because analytics is the way of the future reese except for when it comes to the run game the run game is still king and don't worry, Buffalo Mike doesn't listen to the podcast, so he'll never hear this. But we have to talk about analytics because that's the future, and now we got an analytics guy. So, like I said, his name is William Grundler. So this section is called Grundler's Numbers. Grundler's Numbers. Well, actually, I'd like to bring this up as a point for a poll for this week's podcast. Is uh, what should we call this segment? Because we had, I thought, three decent options. What were the three? I forgot. We <laughs> well, had was Grun- Grundlers don't lie or Gr- Numblers don't lie. We had Grundlers numbers, <laughs> Grundlers never lie, and Grundlers. numbers to the Grundler. <laughs> it's a, it is a great last name, William, which is why we have a lot of great things. So yeah, that'll be our poll for the week, and hopefully, no one says anything about Hunter Renfro. Yeah, right. No Hunter Wenfros or you're immediately disqualified and sent to the shadow room. So anyway, <laughs> Armando, thank you for that fantastic introduction into uh, Grundler's Numbers. Of course. So now let's get into it. The point of focus for Grundler's Numbers is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs quarterbacks and how they played against this touted Jacksonville Jaguars offense. And I kind of say that sarcastically, but also not. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, we have Calvin Ridley, we have Evan Ingram, we have Zay Jones, who actually played really well last week, and we have... Uh, 
uh, Travis Etienne. So like it's a pretty solid, uh, pretty solid group. And I, I asked Will to focus on the cornerbacks to see how they would do against these wide receivers. And here's what we come up with, Reese. So I'll just kind of name a few a few guys and how they played. So overall, let's see here. Overall, the Chiefs allowed only 197 passing yards. Um, we had a lot of great one-on-one matchups. So we had Trent McDuffie forces Zay Jones out of that touchdown catch, resulting in a Jag settling for that field goal. Let's see if we want to get into some specific numbers. We had Trent McDuffie allowing a passer rating of just 84 uh, when he was targeted, uh, although he did allow six completions on nine targets, but again, only for 57 yards. Um, Then we also had, let's see what else we had here. Uh, we had Jalen Watson allowing a passer rate of only 61.7 when targeted, and he had an interception. Um, so a lot of great numbers from from our quarterbacks this game, Reese. And I told you on the last podcast that this would be the barometer of how our secondary would be. Reese, with only those two numbers in our new Grundler's numbers, how do you feel about these cornerbacks? You know, I'm feeling optimistic about the cornerbacks. I think they seem to have taken at least a step forward in terms of their progression. A lot of them being young. You know, we're talking Jalen Watson. We're talking uh, Trent McDuffie. We're even talking about uh, Joshua Williams. But I think another thing that's really helped them is that Spags is putting them in better situations to succeed. He's not Mm. leaving guys out in an island one-on-one. And as we saw, he's not sending six or seven guys to blitz on third down every time. And I think that has greatly helped keep us in these games where the offense has been kind of not on their best foot these last couple games. So we saw it this week that Legereus Sneed was getting picked on again because A, Christian Kirk has proven to be a bad matchup for him in the past. Courtesy of Grendler's number stat cast, if we're looking at last year, he allowed seven receptions for a passer rating of 147.3 and even two receiving touchdowns. So as he's recovering, we're Mm. seeing teams kind of testing his athleticism a bit, and it's nice to see that he's slowly kind of getting back up to speed. But all this to say, I'm happy with the progression of this secondary, and I think it's going to be important for them to maintain this level of play as our offense seems to be a big question mark going forward. Yeah, I think another another point, those are really good, Reese. Another, another point is that our guys are really sticky, and those guys actually you know, were toe-to-toe with a lot of these fast receivers, where in the past, we had Tweedledee and Tweedledum. That's right, Rashad Fenton and the third highest-paid quarterback right now in, in NFL, Traverius Ward. But, Reese, how many times did we see the long ball, you know, from Justin Herbert to Mike Williams or, you know, a... a Russell Wilson to Jerry Judy or someone like that, just someone very random. How many times did we see over the top just our corners getting blown by? I mean, far too many times. And, you know, like I said, a lot of it had to do with Spags leaving only like two guys deep on a lot of these passing downs, allowing them to get picked on by strategic matchups of better wide receivers going against our defensive backs. I I think it's funny that you mentioned Mike Williams this go around because I think we have enough evidence at this point that Christian Kirk might kind of be like the Jaguars Mike Williams to us. He had 11 receptions for 110 yards. Christian Kirk's not that guy, but he seems to match up well against our defensive scheme. So I'd say let's watch that going forward. But more importantly, 
Like you said, we did a great job putting the clamps down on Calvin Ridley. Just two receptions for 32 yards. I know some people could say, well, he almost had two touchdowns in the back of the end zone. Yeah, he almost did, but he didn't, which means that we were playing so tight, Trevor Lawrence couldn't get a perfect ball into there. And neither of them were close yeah. either. They were both like a full foot out, if not more sometimes. So Yeah, it, 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 Trevor Lawrence like puts it in the right place it seems but like you said he's always a foot too long um, on all those spots because they were tough spots and it seemed like he like put it right in the bread basket it's just that they were too long and not short enough you know speaking of Calvin Ridley one thing I'm curious about is why didn't the Chiefs go after Calvin Ridley this offseason how much money is he getting paid? I think he's getting paid significantly. I think I heard he's getting paid about a million dollars for this year, which is about oh, what like a Juju Smith-Schuster went. But I think they, they traded the Falcons for him for like a handshake and a, like a loaf of Wonder Bread. It wasn't that much. I wonder if I wonder if the whole gambling thing was just so taboo for people that they didn't even look to like see research because like if you if you look at the games when Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones are playing together, Calvin Ridley got way more pass than Julio Jones did in that Matt Ryan offense. Like Calvin Ridley is amazing, and and it, it should be no surprise to anybody. I'll tell you what's, what's a big surprise though is that Calvin Ridley is only six one one ninety. Because there were like a couple Ooh. times on the off, like the sidelines where like he's by the trainers. Dude, those trainers have to be like five foot two. He looked like he was six five going up <laughs> against those guys. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I know he's he's extremely athletic, and and I I love this um, this this Jags offense. Not against us, but I think they do look good, and I think this team, just like the Lions, I think these teams are better than we think, and which makes our defense more impressive. Like for us to hold this Jaguars offense to nine points like barely saw Travis Etienne didn't see any spectacular plays from Trevor Lawrence saw no spectacular plays from Calvin Ridley and we hold them to nine points and Trevor Lawrence is 0-3 in the red zone maybe 1-4 in the red zone that last game Mm -hmm. I mean I I think they are going to be shutting people down scoring 40 points with some teams and I think that's going to show us how good our defense actually is it's only week two but I tell you I'm sure this Jags team is going to be in the hunt for the playoffs still I think the telling point came was either late in the third or early in the fourth when it was first and goal from the one after another questionable penalty and on the first play of that series we took Trevor Lawrence down for like a two-yard loss, and after that, their script for that drive was completely thrown off, and I think they didn't convert fourth down, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe they got a field goal out of that drive. I can't remember. Mm, but That last one, I don't think so. But you remember the one I'm talking about, right? Like They called yep. a bootleg for Trevor Lawrence, and we had two guys sniff it out and take him out yep. for a loss, too. It was huge. It was and huge. It was just like screen pass after screen pass, I think, after that, right? Yeah, so they, they didn't get it, and I was very pleased to hear that, so... I think the big question going forward is is we, we've seen the Spagnolo defense put the clamps on for a few game stretches, usually in the middle of the season, but by and large, it averages out to a pretty porous, very bendy and breaky defense. So mm-hmm. do you have any reason to expect this defense to continue to play at this level throughout the remainder of the season? Or is this fool's gold right now? I don't think it's fool's goal. I think we're going to see it in the middle because, again, this offensive line is not it's not deteriorated, but I think they are a lot worse without Cam Robinson. Oh, it looks like I have a my, my guest is reappearing, but I think I think he's under control. Um, anyway, uh, 
It's, it's coming back. He, he wants to hear about some Grundler's Numblers, man. Grundler's Numblers. <laughs> but no, I I, I think... Uh, who do we play in week... Well, we, we play the Jets, so... Wait, no. Bears are up next. We don't, uh, the Bears are up next, and like I feel after six weeks, I feel like we have to play someone good. We, we're probably going to play the Bills at some point. Um, so when, when we play the Bills, I think we're going to see, but... Um, we're going to talk about this at the end of the podcast, but it's going to be really hard to judge uh, this this defense based on who we're going to play in the next six, Reese. We should get a decent idea, though, because I think we got, if I'm correct, we got Bears, Jets, and then it's Broncos. Yeah, but those are not good offensive lines. Yeah, fair, but, you know, I'm hoping. But the thing is, we've been torched by bad offensive lines in the past, too. That's you know? true. Uh, yeah, that's true. There, there is no discrimination for that defense. Here you go. <laughs> Vikings coming up on October 8th. That'll be a good test because that team sells a lot of weapons and can score. Yeah. Uh, then Broncos, yeah, that, Chargers, that'll, that'll be a nice barometer for the cornerbacks. I think for our D-line, I think our D-line is going to absolutely eat these next six weeks. But for our corners, yeah, I mean, I, would, I can't wait to see us against Justin Jefferson, um, whoever that dude that just got paid hawk tj hawk sorry i don't really care about tj hawk because i know sam always talks about him and then of course my boy jordan addison like that's going to be a really great barometer for for those cornerbacks and for this like leo chenault being that third linebacker i know we we weren't supposed to talk about it but like leo chenault seeing a lot of the field and like like in this three lineback matchup which we haven't seen in a in a chief's defense in quite some time that's what we want leo chenault send him after the ball carrier set him up as a standing linebacker or a standing defense event excuse me got a lot of potential there yeah it's great cool all right so we'll see what happens after that uh all right reese what else do we got today did we did, i wanted to touch briefly on travis kelsey because it's kind of important it's kind of the elephant in the room that no one's talking about reese travis kelsey did not play well and i think that that touchdown has masked how like poorly he did play um and not only poorly but that we just didn't see a lot of targets to trav and of course he was double covered like the typical travis kelsey but he just wasn't getting to the spaces so what is this injury for him or, or were we kind of just like feeling the waters for travis kelsey and getting him up to game speed later well i mean it's a deep bone bruise which they said you know two weeks ago he couldn't even put weight on so for a guy i mean i can tell you i'm 31 32 like i i don't wake up well after day yard work dude i hurt so i can't imagine what travis is doing at you know 33 34 trying to recover from a deep bone bruise but as Andy Reid said after the game that, you know, Travis was getting, as they say, butched. So he was just getting like smacked around and anytime they legally could hit him, they were essentially giving him the Jordan rules. They know he's older. They know he's got a bone mm-hmm. bruise. They know it's hot. They're going to do anything they can to get under his skin and just ding him up. Is it cheap? Yeah. Is it within the rules? So long as you do it within five yards, it's within the rules. So, I, you know, I, I think it was a little wishful for people to think that Trav was going to come back and, you know, put up like 80, 90, 100 yards this week against the Jaguars. Uh, I would have liked to see a little bit more from him. He was very quiet, I believe. Was it three receptions for 26 yards this week? Whatever it was, it wasn't show-stopping. But it was nice to see some vintage Kelsey catching a touchdown in the open space and finding the soft spot for six points. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I'll say what I said last week. I'm only panicking if we're going to see this type of Kelsey every week. But like you said, he's going to have some time to heal. um, And we should have a pretty easy schedule coming up, uh, which will allow for him to kind of go back into the offense. We can feature some other guys, try to get some chemistry going with, you know, Justin Watson, maybe see some Justin Ross even. Uh, Another topic for another day. Uh, But yeah, I think think this is the perfect time for Kelsey to heal, uh, for us to figure out some of these these dots and then by the time we really got to go we have some of our guys back you know a healthy kelsey um charles amenahue back like we should be ready to roll reese which kind of brings me into the last segment then reese i want to look at the next six games i just looked at a stat yesterday and the next six games that we play are those teams they have a combined record of one and eleven and that one game that was one was the was the jets bills game which was an anonymous uh, anonymously anonymous what is it anonymously anonymously anomaly that one I think I've messed this up on the podcast before. I think you said the the French art film Amelie before, but <laughs> still haven't seen it. So anyway, that word, I think it was a it was a crazy game, right? So I'm feeling pretty good about it. Let me just read the next six for you, and then I want you to tell me uh, if you think this is a good time for us to kind of cool the jets on Kelsey. Maybe try some new things. Uh, maybe find that find that other wide receiver. I mean, what are some opportunities for? This? this team in the next six weeks so reese uh next week we play the bears then we play the zach wilson jets then we play the zero and two vikings then we play the the team that just lost to the washington commanders the denver broncos we play them twice by the way and then we play the la chargers in between those two and the Chargers are also zero and two uh and then after that i'm already on in the beginning of november we then play the dolphins in Munich at a 7:30 a.m. game, which I don't even know if we can even count because those games are so crazy. So I'm gonna say we don't have a, a real first challenge until the Philadelphia Eagles the week before Thanksgiving. What do you have to say, Reese? Um, so I'm just gonna say with the schedule we have for the next six weeks, I really want us to come out of this at seven and one. I mean, I want to in the worst way, man. Sure. Because the back half of this schedule, I think starting in November does get pretty nasty. I think the Dolphins offense has a lot going for it. I think Spagnuolo is going to have to find ways to get pressure on Tua without sending extra men because with Waddle and Hill, you can't afford to do that. And kind of like you said, this being a morning game in Germany, you know, that sort of levels the playing field for all involved. Yeah, it could... it could it could end ten to three for it, all we know. It probably will. It's going to be like fourteen to thirteen or something, you know, with like a last second field goal. Not sure how that works, mm-hmm. but you know, <laughs> after that, like you said, Eagles uh, week of Thanksgiving, and they're going to want a piece of us. You know, Bills still waiting there. The Bengals, dude. I don't for one second believe the Bengals are going to play this bad all year long. Yeah, so, true. All I'm saying is we got to stack the wins now. Before it starts getting hairy later on in the season, are there are there any of those teams that I said the Bears, Jets, Vikings, Broncos, Chargers that you think we could lose to? Oh, we can absolutely lose to the Chargers. I mean, like I said, they always play us tight, and especially with Travis Kelsey always being the guy to pull a rabbit out of his hat. You know, right now that bunny's missing a little bit of hop. The Vikings, I still think at Minneapolis will be a tricky game. That's going to be an efficient offense with the weapons they have. I think they match up well against us. Uh, not so worried about the Bears because I don't. I'm not sure Justin Fields is going to be the starter Oof, by the end of rough. this year. He looks yeah, that's awful. getting rough over there. He looks awful. 
They're also know. saying it's not his fault. Like they, they, they keep playing a series that they played. It was like um, whoever their guy is. Um, what's that guy's name? Luke Getzey. Luke Luke Getzey runs three three of the same plays back to back to back. Uh, <laughs> it's just like they know he's gonna run it, and it's just awful. Well, so my thing is like, so if they're running the same play three times in a row, like he should be able to know what his reads are gonna look like, right? Because right. I, I, I'm seeing as many videos that are like, look how many dudes are open this play, and he runs straight mm. into the line for like no reason yeah i saw that one that was awful <laughs> Ooh, anyway the same rest in peace justin fields I, I i was actually rooting for him but i don't know anymore dude they got nathan stinky pete gonna be starting here pretty soon oh, buffalo mike's favorite dude i'm telling you <laughs> bears are gonna tank for caleb williams uh yeah. so yeah that's that's what i see these next few weeks being by and, and like i said i think broncos are hungry for a win and i could see sean payton uh you know bringing out the bat game oh, bounty yeah. gate stuff against us to try and 40 get onside kicks and yeah yeah or some you know late illegal hits like you saw this week against the commanders but who am i to judge Eesh. Eesh. well we'll see reese um any last thoughts before we wrap this thing up Nah, it's great to see the Chiefs win this one. I never felt like this game was as in doubt as the Lions one was because the Jaguars were never able to really build any sort of momentum. Whereas yeah. like we talked about last week, the Lions were like, haha, fake punt, we have the momentum. Haha, untimely penalty on you, we have the momentum. Haha, pick six, we have the momentum. You know, it's <laughs> Jaguars really didn't have that yesterday. But it's great to be one and one and not 0 oh and two. Absolutely. I actually forgot about the pick six. We did so well this week. Uh, just threw that in the back of my mind. Brian Branch, I forgot. Yep. Um, yeah, look, Pat looks great. Um, if we, if the only thing we're missing is Travis Kelsey just getting back to game speed on that offense, he has he has six weeks to figure it out. So I'm not that worried. Our defensive line looks beautiful. That secondary, thanks to William Grundler, we see that our secondary looks beautiful. Uh, really excited about this season, Reese. I'm glad that we have the woes of the Lions game gone and now we're going to roll and hopefully like you said we win six straight and then you know national media goes back to us being the top dogs but till next oh go ahead reese no, that's it perfect till next time everybody stay tuned go ahead and uh follow us on spotify like reese said go ahead and uh fill out those polls and if you're gonna troll that's fine at least we get some content engagement and again welcome to william grundler being the head of analytics for found city sports media we'll see you next time and go chiefs City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 